All right, well, we're going to continue with our retreat theme, Who Do You Say That I Am? Hoping as you spent time alone with the Lord, you spent some time thinking about that question, just kind of picturing Jesus saying that to you, Who Do You Say That I Am? And so last night, you were encouraged to ditch the false ideas about Jesus, and there's a lot of them. Everyone's got an opinion about Jesus, but there's a lot of bad opinions, just incorrect opinions. People think they can invent their own religion. Some Christians feel like they can invent their own version of Christianity and say, well, God cares about this, but doesn't care about this. And it's not about us, you know? We don't, we don't have that kind of control and authority. God has given us a gift in this, and we get to follow it. And tonight, what we're going to do is dwell on that answer that Peter gave. And so tonight's session title is, if you're taking notes, Decide that Jesus is God. Decide that Jesus is God. And we're really going to slow down with Peter's answer to this question in verse 15 and focus on Jesus being God. And I know we believe it, right? We were singing it. I mean, we were singing it passionately. It was was a beautiful time of worship, Jesus being God. But this is so important, so important for us to understand not just as a salvation issue. It's not like, okay, yeah, I get it because I'm, I'm saved. I obviously believe Jesus is God. But we need to believe Jesus is God throughout temptations and difficulties that we go through in life. We need to believe that he is able to help us, that he desires to help us. He's fully capable of helping us because he is God. So we see in verses 15 through 16 that Jesus being God is a universal truth. It's not just something for Christians, right? Jesus being God is a universal truth. Look at verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So this is a universal truth. This, this isn't just something that was true for Simon, true for the disciples, or true for Christians. One day, every single knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's just that we're going to bow in honor, right? We're going to bow excited that our king has come back and some people are going to be trembling. The problem is right now they're not trembling, right? Right now the atheist, the skeptic is bold as a lion and we feel like on the defensive, but it's not true. That's not reality, right? That's, that's an unfounded cockiness that they have. The truth is that one day when Jesus comes back, we're going to be excited and bowing to honor our king and, and they will be terrified. Now we don't wish that upon them, Right? We love them. We don't want them to experience that. And so we've got to get the word out to them. But this is a universal truth that he is the Christ, right? That means he's the Messiah, the anointed one, right? That he's the son of the living God is a declaration of his deity. You know, he is God. He, he is, you know, equal with the father in that respect. And so how do we know Jesus is God? It's not just something we came up with. It's not just something that you're like, well, maybe there's a verse or two about that. We're going we're gonna to look right now at 10 ways that the Bible says Jesus is God. You know why this is important? You're like, I already believe it. I already believe it. Here's why it's important. One of the scariest noises that a weak Christian can ever hear is this. And a very well-trained and confident Mormon or Jehovah Witness comes to the door and knows your Bible sometimes better than you, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, maybe Jesus isn't God, right? That's not okay, right? The Bible is so clear on this, so clear on this. We should never doubt this again. And so if, if you're taking notes, I know we just had our main point of, you know, this is a universal truth, but let me give you 10 ways that we can see from the Bible that Jesus is God. The first is that he claimed to be the I am. He claimed to be the I am. In John eight fifty eight. 
Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he was invoking that, that Old Testament personal name of Yahweh, right? The Old Testament personal name of God. He was saying, hey, we're talking about Abraham and all this stuff. And you're wondering who I am. Before Abraham was even alive, I was alive. I am. And, and this was a reference to him being God, and they wanted, to, they wanted to stone him to death because they understood that reference as well. Second, we mentioned this passage before. It's Mark 2.5. He forgave sins. It's Mark 2.5 if you're taking notes, not Mark 5.2. That's a mistake on the slide. Mark 2.5. He forgave sins. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. You're like, well, how does that really say he's God? Well, the people listening, the Pharisees and Sadducees that were listening, they were the ones murmuring, saying, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. So everybody in the room knew what Jesus was saying there. He was saying that he was God. The people, they weren't going to let him get away with that. They're like, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus says, well, what's easier to say, you know, that or stand up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power. And then he goes, stand up and walk. And the guy stands up and then everyone's tripping out because, wait, if this guy can make the paralytic walk, maybe he is God. Number three, he accepted worship. He accepted worship. Matthew 14, those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. He, he didn't say, whoa, don't worship me. Like, you only worship God. That's important that he didn't say that because guess, guess what? There was times in the Bible that humans bow down in front of an angel, just a messenger, and the angels always freak out. They're like, whoa, get up. You know, they get all nervous because they're like, God is going to destroy me if I receive any worship. Only God deserves worship. So the angel's like, get up, get up, quick. Come on, I'm going to get in trouble. And, and Jesus didn't do that. Jesus received the worship that his disciples wanted to give him, all right? If you ever meet anyone that receives worship, that's off limits, all right? You, you find someone else to marry besides the person who wants to be worshiped. That'll be a disaster, all right? Next, he accepted titles of deity. He accepted titles of deity. John 20, 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Right? That's why I just don't get it. It's like we're only halfway through, and it's like, why do, why do some people say, yeah, the, you know, the Bible doesn't really say that Jesus is God. Like, what, do you, what Bible are you reading? You know, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is God. Thomas called him God, and he accepted this title. He didn't say, well, I'm actually your buddy Jesus, not Lord and God. No, he accepted those titles. Next, he claimed to be the Son of God. Like, this, is, this is pretty clear, Mark 14, 61 the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. <laughs> oh, we weren't expecting that answer, right? And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He threw in some, some bonus clarity for emphasis there. But his answer is just real simple. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, good. You finally are speaking truth. Yes, I am. So when confronted by all the, the leaders, the religious leaders, he's like, yeah, you've, you've got it. I am, I am the son of the blessed. I'm the son of God. Next, the father said that he was the son, right? So God, the father said this, Matthew three seventeen. a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
right? And so Jesus is, is getting baptized, and this voice opens up, and it says that even some people heard the voice, and they, you know, trying to figure out, what, what was that? Is that like the craziest thunder ever? But it was the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And so even the Father testifies to this. Next, angels predicted his deity, right? The angel that spoke to Mary about this coming baby that she was going to have in Luke one thirty two said, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. Who's the highest? That's God, right? And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, right? He's the son of the highest. So even the angels are saying that Jesus is God. But wait, it gets scarier than that. Even the demons are saying that he is God. Number nine, Matthew 8, 29, the demons cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Right? So every time Jesus would go by the demons, they would start calling out, no, it's not yet the time. It's not, they already know like prophecy. They know like the end times. They're like, wait, you're early. (laughs) You're not supposed to kill us yet. You're not supposed to destroy us yet. You're early. And he's always saying this. He's always like, shh. You're going to spoil everything, right? It's like spoiler alert. He's like, just be quiet. He's silencing the demons so they don't tell people that he is God too early because of the timing that he was waiting for. So you got angels and demons saying that he's God. And finally, and there's more than this. This is just the 10 I chose. The Old Testament prophecies predicted him as God. Micah 5.2 is one example. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And who is he? Whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. This child that is going to be born is from everlasting, a quality that only God can have. And so these are 10 examples that are pretty clear, right? And so my my hope is for that each person in this room, you would never doubt again when somebody says, is Jesus really God? You at least have to have the confidence that the Bible says that Jesus is God. That is absolutely clear. And they'll, they'll try and twist things and, you know, make their own versions of the Bible that, you know, change the words around. But, but the historical manu- manuscript evidence is very clear that Jesus is God. Everybody knew it. That's why he was crucified, right? And he was declared to be that all the time. And so you might forget those things the next time somebody's challenging on you, but you need to have confidence in your heart that the Bible says Jesus is God. That's a big deal to us, not just in our salvation, but as we are trying to overcome all the difficulties and temptations in life, we need to remember that Jesus is with us, he's in us, and he is God, all right? Back in Matthew 16, verse 17, We see that Jesus being God is only revealed by the Father. It says this. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right? So Simon answers and he's wondering, how is Jesus going to respond to this? What if Jesus is like, whoa, you're totally off base? No, but instead he says, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because you didn't figure this out with your mind. This wasn't that you started looking at all the evidence and you you figured this out. My father spiritually revealed this to you. That's why you know that this is true. And so Peter was blessed. Why? Because God spoke to him. God spoke to him. Guys, it's a big deal this weekend if you feel like God is impressing something on your heart. 
If you feel like God is meeting with you, if you feel like you're having an experience with God, if you feel like you're understanding the scriptures better, those things cannot happen to the carnal man. Those things cannot happen to the unbeliever. There's literally a part of them that does not exist, the spiritual part of them, you know, that God makes alive so that we can interact with God, so that we can have this relationship, you know, with the Holy Spirit. That part doesn't even exist, which is why we shouldn't be so confused when people don't understand why we're doing the things we're doing, why we believe what we believe, because the natural man can't understand those things. There needs to be a moment where God reveals himself to them. And so we need God to reveal Jesus to him and so to us. And so ask him to, right? Ask him to throughout the rest of this week to say, reveal Jesus to me. Show me more of who your son is. Show me more of Jesus. And it's a big deal when people put their trust in Jesus because it's something that God can do. It's only something that is, you know, it's a God thing. So nobody would seek out God on their own. There's not like a handful of people that are just born better and nicer and kinder, and then those people seek out after God. God authors faith in our life. He reveals it to us. And yet we see in the scriptures, while we have that truth, Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. We all have that opportunity. Jesus didn't just die for a, a few people, right? That possibility of a relationship with Jesus is available to anyone who calls on his name. And so Simon here is super blessed because what he knows was placed there by the Father. So when you have those aha kind of moments and you're reading the Bible and you start journaling a little bit faster because you're getting excited about something the Lord is speaking to you, that's, that's a cool thing. That's something that should make you excited. You're, you're not going to have that same inner peace and excitement and feeling when you're watching TV, when you're just binging out on Netflix and you're like, I know what a good idea is. I'll watch the whole season this weekend, right? And your eyes are bleeding by the end of it. No one ever leaves that feeling closer to God and like a better human being. Usually you're like, oh, life's really tough and terrible. You know, but I saw the show. I saw Now I could talk to my friends about it. Like, you're not going to feel that way when you're on 14 hours of, you know, continuing to play that video game. You're not going to be like, man, life is, life is really worth living. <laughs> I really feel like my life has purpose. And yet those things are so addicting, right? And yet those things call, they call out to us. Like the screen calls out to us. And we don't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal. Listen, the distractions are a big deal, but I'm telling you, you will never regret time spent with the Lord in the scriptures and in prayer. And there are times where, where God is going to meet you there and your emotions are going to line up with reality that God is with you and speaking to you. And you need to, you need to cherish those times and be grateful for them because that is not something that the whole world is experiencing, right? The whole world experiences discouragement, depression, and stress. And you experience those things too, but you have moments of peace and, and, and deep rooted joy. You're experiencing a bit of heaven on earth because you have what eternity really is, a relationship with the Father through Jesus. So be excited about that, right? Verse 18, we see that Jesus being God, that's what builds us up. That's what encourages us and builds us up. Verse 18 says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus being God is what builds us up. The rock that Jesus is talking about here is the fact that he is God. The truth that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God, that is the rock that the church will be built on. And that is also the thing that is going to build us up and edify us. You will literally be built up in a spiritual way that you might not be able to tell by meditating on the characteristics of God. 
As you sit there and just think about God, you think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you, your faith is building and you're being strengthened and built up in ways that you need, in ways that you'll need in the future to fight off the enemy, right? Growth happens in connection to this truth and your life needs to be built on that rock that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is God. Peter says it in a, in a different way. In 1 Peter 2, 4, he says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is that living stone, and then he makes up us these living stones, and we can be built on the foundation of Jesus being God, and we become this spiritual house, right? You can't become a house by yourself, just like a two-by-four doesn't make a house, right? Or one room doesn't make a house. But the body of Christ, all of us as living stones built on this truth, become a spiritual house that, is, that just becomes a beautiful family, becomes a beautiful witness for the whole world. This is a truth that isn't just true in an apologetics kind of sense, but also in a sense where it will build you up spiritually. I promise you, if you meditate on Jesus being God, you will be built up spiritually. If you were to take an hour this week and just say, I'm just going to journal, pray, and read about Jesus being God, and what does that mean to me? And you just start writing about it and thinking about it and writing questions down and answering them, you will be built up in a spiritual and yes, invisible kind of a way, but it really does matter. It really does matter. The, the spiritual and the invisible matter, okay? They're, they're, they're actually a greater reality than the physical things we can see and touch. What's a, great, what's a greater reality? You're like, oh yeah, heaven, but it's like this invisible thing. And okay, you're, you're gonna be there for billions of years. And you're gonna be here for like what? If you eat a lot of vegetables, 98 years. If you eat like, you know, Ben and I, like maybe 50 years, Right? Donuts are donuts, right? I mean, some things are worth the choice. But listen, it's real. It's, it's, it's going to be the greatest reality in your life are the spiritual and the invisible. Verse 18 continues to show us that Jesus being God, that's actually what protects us. That's what protects us in a very dangerous world. Verse 18 says, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Hell itself will not prevail against you, against the church. Why? Because Jesus is God. Hell is real, right? Demons and Satan, terrifying truths that they're real. Like Christians can actually have some, some pretty decent nightmares because like the regular world that doesn't believe in Jesus, they're actually dealing with like fake things. They're like talking about ghosts and like Sasquatch and UFOs and things like that. They're, those don't actually exist, but demons are actually real. So there's sometimes where I'm like, demons are real, you know? And I kind of freak out and I'm like, wait, but Christ is in me. Right, wait, but I'm, but I'm victorious over them. Listen, we need, we need this as protection. Is that your rock? Is that your defense against hell? Jesus, right? Jesus needs to be your defense. Anything less than Jesus is a weak defense, right? I'm a good person. Oh, you're toast. You are dead. Oh, man, right? That's your defense that you're a good person? I'm going to try harder. Oh, that's your defense? <laughs> no, Jesus is our defense, Guys, there is a spiritual war going on, a real spiritual war. Have you guys ever read Daniel chapter 10 and seen that crazy spiritual war scene? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, this is crazy. 
Right? You think Ephesians 6 is like the best spiritual warfare chapter? Let me tell you what is going on in the world right now. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel is fasting, praying for 21 days. Doesn't hear anything. Crickets. You ever feel like that? You're praying. You're like, I don't hear anything. Nothing's changing. 21 days. He prays, waits, nothing. All of a sudden on the 21st day, an angel shows up, almost like out of breath, it seems like. like Whoa. And this angel says, hey, as soon as, the out of breath thing is just how I see it. Uh, it's not in the Bible. As soon as you prayed, the very first moment you prayed, God sent me to you with a message. Well, that's great, but it's been 21 days. So are we learning in the Bible that angels are slow? You're like, I prayed for an angel. He'll be on his way in 12 weeks. But you wait, he's on his way. No, that's not the point of the passage. He said, I was dispatched immediately. But as soon as I was dispatched, the princes of Persia came to battle me. What is he meaning there? This is an angel talking. He's saying that the demons in the Persia area were battling me for 21 days until finally the father was sick and tired of it and sent Michael the archangel to battle the demons so the first angel could go and talk to Daniel. And then he gets there and he tells him this amazing message and then he's like, I got to go back and battle the kings of, of Persia over there. I mean, Daniel's very first prayer caused God to act. And then Daniel's persistence in prayer 21 days later caused God to act again, I believe, when he released another angel. Guys, this is, this is stuff that's all going around. Daniel got to see it when this, this angel visited. It's still happening today. There really are things, angels and demons. And check this out. Your prayers can, can cause victory in the spiritual realm. They're heard, whether you notice it or not, and they can cause victory right? This is powerful stuff. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through who? Through him who loved us. Jesus being God is what protects us. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. What does that mean? Greater is Jesus who's living inside of us by the Holy Spirit than the devil who tries to scare you, right? This is a, this is a real truth. We're told in Colossians that Jesus has disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So yeah, it, like demons try and scare us, right? You get nervous sometimes. You see a shadow, you're like, oh, I hope that was like, I'd rather that be a cat or anything else. You know, I don't have cats. It, it, it can be scary. And you're thinking, but listen, Jesus has already disarmed the demons. They, they can't possess you. You know, they, they, they've got nothing on you. He's already disarmed them. He's already made a public spectacle out of them. That means like he's made a joke out of them. It's like when the Romans would conquer a city and chain everybody up and they'd be walking in their underwear through the cities. And each other's like, oh yeah, these are the guys. Remember when they said they couldn't beat us, the Romans? <laughs> Remember when they said that? And the Romans just walk them through, showing everyone how weak they are. Jesus did that to the, de- to the demons, right? They're still, they're still around, but he's disarmed them. We have nothing to fear with faith in Christ. God can protect us. Verse 19, we see that Jesus being God sets the boundaries for our life. Right? Jesus being God is what can help us make decisions on what to do and what not to do, what our boundaries are. Verse 19 says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Those with knowledge of Jesus being God have authority. Right? You have authority. If you know that Jesus is God, you know the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is, is alive in you, you, you have spiritual authority. There are times where you're going to look upon a situation and, and because God is in you, speaking to you, you know, like, hey, that's wrong. I can't find a verse, but that's wrong. I know that is not pleasing the Father. 
And, and you know what the boundaries are because Jesus is God. These are phrases that were used by rabbis. To bind is to prohibit and to loose is to permit, right? And so the rabbis would kind of, you know, look at the law and try and apply it to people and, you know, prohibit certain things and permit other things. Jesus is saying that the apostles have this authority now to be making decisions for the church and the, and the Spirit of God is in you as well. And so you're going to have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong as far as the boundaries that are in your life. And so this can become something where, you know, originally when you are you know become a believer, you, you kind of feel like all the rules are stacked up and you don't like it. And you're like, man, I got to obey all these rules now. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But these are a lot of rules. And you have this twisted mentality of thinking that Christianity is following a list of rules, but hey, you get heaven. That's just not it, right? These, these, are, these are the keys to joy and satisfaction and fruitful living. These are keys to the avoidance of guilt and pain and, and suffering that sin can bring. You will actually come to love those rules. You'll come to embrace them and care for them. They won't even be a burden to you, like John says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and they're not even burdensome, right? Everyone wants to say they love God in different ways. You're like, I love God. I wrote him a poem. He's like, okay, that's cool, right? I love God. I, I did this for him. You know, it's like, okay. But first of all, you can show God love through action, through obedience. And that's just obvious, right? I'm, I'm 3,000 miles away from my wife, and I can say I love you on the phone, but I also say I love you by not talking to any other girls and, and, and not having an affair. That's a pretty nice way to say I love you, but check out the reverse. Could I say I love you on the phone a thousand times, and then if I commit an affair, do I love her? Not at all. We tell Jesus sometimes we love him till we're blue in the face, but then our lives are just, you know, like lustfully satisfying ourselves and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. Jesus wants to be loved through obedience, but you will come, come to come to a point as you seek the Lord and draw near to Him where these commandments are not even burdensome to you. I'm telling you, press on. You're going to come to that point where all of a sudden you, you see the genius and the wisdom in the commandments of God. And you realize, man, this would just change everything if I obeyed God's commandments. Don't you? And doesn't that the world kind of make Christianity seem to be something where it's like all about law? even though Jesus fulfilled the law. But check out the genius behind God's commandments. We got 10 commandments in the Old Testament, right? 10 big ones. There's like 613 laws, but 10, 10 big ones. Imagine if the entire world was told, like, hey, let's make a compromise. We're only going to make everyone obey one of the 10 commandments. Like, oh, that's a pretty good deal. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good deal, right? So the whole world, whether they believe in God or not, everyone agrees to obey one commandment. Let's say it's the Old Testament commandment, thou shall not commit adultery. Do you know how different the world would be if that happened? Think about, think about how the whole world would change. We would be living in a paradise if people obeyed one commandment. Because that means that there'll be, there would be no sex outside of marriage, right? And so all the guilt and the pain of one night stands and then the person ditching you because that's all they wanted, that'd be gone, right? Think about the things that would change. There would be no rape because you can't commit adultery. So no rape, that's amazing. That'd be an amazing world. Like that'd be like, everyone's like, man, that'd be an amazing world. There'd be no STDs. Those would die off within a generation. You can only get those when people are promiscuous, when people are sleeping around like crazy. If everyone's marrying one person and sticking with them, all STDs are gone. Do you want to live in a world that has no AIDS? That'd be kind of a nice world. What about this? There'd be no sex trafficking. 
Is it a bad thing that people are kidnapped and forced into a terrible trade like sex trafficking? That would all be gone if everyone obeyed one of God's commandments. There would be far less orphans because most babies would be born into homes where they wanted the children. There would be, I mean, you could say probably zero abortions because the babies that are born into the homes are homes that were, they were planning on that and hoping for that as they were getting married. Look at that world. Look at that world. That's an amazing world to live in. And yet we sit here and think we believe Satan's lie when he says, God's just trying to steal all your joy. No, God is wise and we are deceived. God is wise. You could make that case for all of the, all of the commandments. In verse 20, we see that Jesus being God is something that we should share. Now you're going to laugh at me when I read this verse. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not, that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. You're like, ah, Tyler taught us better than this. You're saying the opposite of what the Bible says. Yes, I am. But I also taught Tyler, right? I also taught, he was in my Bible study methods class in 2010. So all heresy that comes from him ultimately came from me, right? So listen, yeah, I'm saying that our application should be the opposite of what Jesus said to the apostles. Jesus told them to keep a lid on it. You know, even though, you know, the very fact that he said, don't share this means they all wanted to share it, right? So he's like, don't share this because he knew they wanted to share it. But why? Jesus had a prophecy focused timing. That's, that's the only reason why Jesus is ever telling people to shush. It's because he's waiting for the day for the Daniel prophecy to come true that shows the exact moment he should be at the triumphal entry. Right? So he's, he's telling them quiet for a reason. Guess what? That triumphal entry has already happened exactly as prophesied. So this restriction no longer applies to us. So we should be telling people this good news that Jesus is God. And he, after this moment, he tells us that in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And it becomes something that we can all proclaim. And so we've got fear. We're nervous about telling people about Jesus. We think we're going to do it wrong. You know, we try and say, well, one day when I memorize enough apologetics and enough evangelism approaches, then I can tell people about God. Guys, it's a lot simpler than that. Start a normal human conversation with people instead of just disappearing on the phone. That's it. That's how it starts. It starts like that. And then if that, in that it's a normal conversation. It's not like, hey, how you doing? Jesus is doing great. You should meet him. Like, well, that was a weird handshake, by the way. Like, I don't normally shake like that, right? You don't start, it's not, a, I'm, I'm not saying start Jesus conversations everywhere. Like, how you doing? Beautiful day. Like, Jesus is a beautiful God, right? No, it's like, no. These are unweird conversations. So you're starting the conversation saying, wow, kayaking looks fun. You know, that's the kind of conversation you start. And then you're praying. As you're having a normal human conversation, you're praying, you're saying, Lord, is this someone that you're drawing to yourself? Because here's the thing. You think it's all on your shoulders. Every member of the Trinity is working towards someone's salvation. God is accomplishing it, right? The Bible says the Father draws people to himself. The Holy Spirit, meanwhile, is convicting people of sin. How do you know if all of a sudden God has arranged that person's life and difficulties and everything, and the whole time the Holy Spirit is convicting them of sin, what are they missing? We need to speak about Jesus, And so you start a normal conversation, and then eventually you start dropping some hints. Oh, yeah, I'm actually in Northeast Maryland. I'm assuming you've, like, snuck out to the coffee shop downtown. All right? Shouldn't do that unless it's an evangelism opportunity. No, you shouldn't do that. Right? And so you're there. Hey, I'm actually here because of a youth retreat with my church. Now, if immediately they say, oh, that's cool. So you like coffee? They weren't taking the hint. 
right? And so maybe a little bit later in the conversation, you're like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's great. I read something just like that in my Bible the other day. And they're like, oh cool, coffee's great. You're like, all right, listen, it's not working, but that's okay. Maybe they're rejecting, you know, God. Maybe as the Holy Spirit convicts them, they're rebelling against that. And so it's okay. You can just end the conversation without even maybe mentioning Jesus because you drop the hints. But what if you mention those hints and they're like, oh man, I haven't been in church in so many years. I don't know if I should go back. Well, my goodness, that's a good conversation to have. And you pursue it. What if they say, oh, no way, my, you know, this is that. But And they start, they start saying something where they're biting. When you're putting the bait out, they're biting. Well, guess what? You can start getting excited. Father, is this someone you're drawing? Holy Spirit, is this someone you're convicting? You know what they need to hear? They need to hear about Jesus. Just like Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, right? Cornelius was a good guy. Gave money to build synagogues, super nice to all of his servants. But guess what? He wasn't going to heaven until he heard the name Jesus. He needed Peter to come to him and tell him about the good news of Jesus Christ, and then he could be saved. You are the one that provides that missing link to sometimes good people that need to hear Jesus first. And so you got to tell, you got to talk to your friends. You just got to talk to your friends, and then you got to drop some hints, and then you just follow the lead. But if you're praying every single day that God would bring you to people that would want to know his truth, there's going to be opportunities as you start these conversations. And in verse 21, we see that Jesus being God shows us that God loves us. Verse 21 says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. Jesus reveals the purpose for which he came to save us, to save us. It would require his, his death and, and resurrection He had to suffer and die because of two reasons. Two reasons why Jesus had to suffer and die. The first is us. The first is that our sin is so wicked that a holy God could not accept us as such sinful creatures. We are too wicked to be in heaven with God. And so there needed to be a sacrifice. Judgment is being built up and built up and built up against the unbeliever. And then Jesus came and took all that judgment so that now... When we approach the Father, he sees us as, as righteous because it's Jesus' righteousness. Jesus already satisfied that wrath, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, but we also learn from Jesus' death that God loves us, right? That God loves us, right? He died on the cross. He died on the cross because he loves us. Could he have shown his love to us in, in any greater way? No. So stop being bummed out when your prayer request isn't answered, but it's a far lower need than your salvation that has already been answered. It's wrong for us to get super discouraged at God because a relationship goes sour, because we don't have as much money as we want, because we have an illness that other people don't have, right? Because we don't have the things that other people have. Like you can, you can ask God for things, but you got to start, you got to start getting more excited about God's kingdom and that you're a part of it and you're a child of God. He's already given you the greatest thing in Jesus. He's already proven. He's demonstrated his love for you. And while that you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He's proven that he loves you, right? And so how do we respond to this truth? Well, if the thing that put Jesus on the cross, the reason that Jesus had to die on the cross is our sin and his love, then we need to be serious about our own sin. We need to get serious with it. Stop kicking the can down the road and saying, I'll deal with my sin later, right? 
Now, Jesus says, when you identify sin in your life, you pluck out your eye, you cut off your arm. That means you deal with it seriously. Guys, it's possible to have freedom from bondage. It's possible to break, not bad habits, sinful habits, right? And, and God deserves us to do that, right? We need to start treating sin seriously. Jesus wouldn't say it's better for you to cut off your arm and enter into heaven with only one arm if sin wasn't a big deal. It is a destructive disease that is tearing away at our souls and it's gonna make you a monster. It's gonna make you a monster. You know, you think about your ideal life in the future and you're like, oh, I wanna be a good husband or wife. You know what? Sin now, not undealt with, will cause you to eventually cheat on your spouse, to yell at your spouse, to abuse your spouse. I want to be a good parent one day. I want to be a great mom or a dad. Sin undealt in your life now that will continue to grow and fester and just, you know, get moldy and disgusting will eventually cause you to scream at your kids in a way that makes them feel worthless. Kids, push your buttons. I love my kids. But all they do is say, I'm going to make daddy scream. <laughs> I'm going to make mommy scream, Right? You love them to pieces. They couldn't be cuter, but they will reveal who you are. You need to deal with your sin now if you expect to be a good mom or dad. Treat your sin seriously if you love Jesus. He's God. He can free you from all of it. Can free you from all of it. Every single thing. From, from pornography to anger and hate and bitterness and, and unforgiveness. From rage. From all those things, Jesus can set you free from those things if you'll let him. And then we also need to realize how much God loves us. You just need to meditate on that. You need to be thankful for that. You need to, to worship God in a way that you're like, I just want to show you that I love you. I remember what it's like the very first time I raised my hands in a church service. I remembered what that was like. I was, it happened to be with like my two best friends, best friend one, best friend two. And there's a song. And it's one of those songs where every word in the song was, raise your hands up, raise your hands up. Your hands should be up. If you're a Christian, your hands are up. I'm like, oh, and I'm just like feeling like, man, I love Jesus. I really want to raise my hands, but I've never done that. And I'm like, I was just scratching something, you know? And I remember being like, oh, forget it. <laughs> and then afterwards, I was with my buddies, and I was like, so uh, you want to talk about what happened? They're like, you uh, raised your hands. And then one guy's like, I wanted to also. I was like, well, that would have been nice. So I didn't feel like an idiot the whole time. Listen, Jesus deserves to be worshipped powerfully if you love him. But it's in the song and it's in the resistance of sin, right? It's in the song and it's in sacrificially loving and serving people, even though you're missing out on something else that you want to do. Worship him all the time. He deserves it because he's God. So Father, would you help us to do that? Lord, we want to do it. I mean, that was some of the most passionate worship I've ever been a part of to start this service. So I know in our best moments, we want to worship you. The worship team can go on and come up. We're going to do one more song. And Father, Lord, as we, as we sit here and think about how to apply this and, and how to live it out, I know there's some people sitting here that are, that are thinking, yeah, I've got some of those addictive sins. I've got some, some bad habits. I've got some things that I think aren't a big deal, so I'm compartmentalizing those sins. But it's a bigger deal. Maybe sin is a scarier thing than I think. Maybe God deserves all of me, not just a part of me. I pray tonight, God, that you would free them. Lord, that you would free them. Help them not to have fear of what they're going to be missing out on if they give up their sin. Yes, sin has a passing pleasure, Lord. You told us that. But show them tonight. Reveal them tonight to them tonight the great joy and love of a completely surrendered and yielded life for you.
Lord, help them not to buy the lie of the enemy. And Lord, there's some here tonight that as I keep saying, God loves you and God's proven he's loved you and he loves you so much. They say, yeah, but I don't feel that he loves me. How could he love me with what I've done? I've been told I'm worthless my whole life. The way my parents treat me, the way my, my, my boyfriend or girlfriend treat me, it just shows that I'm not worth anything. Lord, you've got to show them the truth tonight that they were worth so much that you died on the cross for them. And so, Father, would you do a spiritual work tonight? We talked about how that's invisible, Lord, but make it real, make it tangible, because we need it. We can't get, in our, get through our lives just existing in the physical and just going with the motion and just flowing downstream, Lord. No, we need to struggle and to fight and to pursue truth and to pursue you, Lord. So would you do that work in our lives? I'm going to ask you to, to stay sitting right now, but if, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you, not, not because it's camp or not because, you know, you're having a, a great time, but if you, if you honestly feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to be serious about your sin, you haven't been serious, you need to be serious about your sin so I can free you, then I want you to stand up so that we could pray for you. Listen, you will not be satisfied staying in your sinful condition. You will never experience joy. The system is rigged. You need to stand if you want to be freed from your sin, acknowledging and being transparent and authentic that you need God's help to treat your sin seriously. And so if that's you tonight, if you, if you want to, to finally deal with your sin seriously, then would you stand so that I could pray for you? Now, guys, here's what I want you to do. As this last worship song is, is being played, would you guys, if you're sitting around someone that stood up, would you guys go and just put your arm on their shoulders? And as this song is being prayed, can you just take turns praying for that person? Just pray for freedom in their life, that they would have no fear, that they would have boldness to, to ask God to overcome sin, to resist temptation, to end relationships, to not do the things that they've been doing that's been destroying them. Go and put your hand on the shoulders of someone that stood up and pray for them during this song and ask God to meet them. Go ahead and do that now. Start praying. Guys, you need to believe that God can do a work when you choose to partner with him. When you choose to embrace the truth that you're a sinner and he is righteous, but you want his righteousness to be yours and you want to follow after him, you got to believe that that can happen. It could be that tonight is the night of your freedom. And you might have to struggle and need accountability and, and need help as you move forward, but God can set you free tonight as you choose to embrace the truth that sin is deadly and he is beautiful. I'm going to ask everyone to, to have a seat for a second. I also mentioned that besides sin being serious and sin being deadly and the reason that Jesus had to die on the cross, the other reason is because Jesus loved you. He did it because of the joy set before him. I think that means that he saw you. He, he knew that it was for you. He was willing to do it because it was literally for you that he was dying for. And so if you're, you're someone, and, and this world creates this. This world pushes this on every single person. But if you're someone who's been struggling with realizing that God loves you, because of something in the past or how people have treated you or the lies of the enemy, if your struggle is, I just, I haven't embraced that God really loves me. I haven't fully believed that he loves me. I know he loves people, but does he love me? If that's something that you've struggled with, would you stand up so that we could encourage you? If, you, if you've struggled with just believing that God loves you, 
And that's something that you want, you just want to overcome that. And by faith, you want to believe that God loves you, then stand up. Guys, as the band continues to play and sing, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around to as as many people as you can that are standing. I want you to look them in the eyes. And as seriously as you can, I want you to look at them and say, God loves you and I love you. And give them a hug and, and go find somebody else. Because Christ is in you and that's exactly what he would do. So go and find people and say, God loves you and I love you and give them a hug.